Well, church, as you are having a seat, if you would grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Galatians band, great job. Thank y'all. Risen Northwest crew plus Grant for being here. Y'all did awesome. Um, we are continuing in our series in Galatians, and this is a, a this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that finds itself in error, though they don't know they're in error. Um, and so Paul here is, he's a little fiery. Uh, Jeff reminded us last week that this is Paul going nuclear, right? He's like, he's he, he cannot believe what he's observing. He can't believe what's going on in this church. And so he's addressing it. And he's, he's just coming right down Main Street. And so uh, our, our, our verses that we find ourselves in here this morning, uh, chapter 2, 11 through 21, there's so much here. Uh, we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks just in 220 alone. But we've got to get through it all here this morning. And so I'm going to read uh, these 10 verses, and then we are going to dig in. This is God's word. But when Cephas, this is Peter, this is Paul writing. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back. And he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew... How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will Be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, that I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness was through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, there is so much in here. These are wonderful verses. These are uh, strong words. There's a lot happening. And so, in my opinion, when you begin to get into this section in Galatians, as the Apostle Paul is writing to this collection of Christians, really could be uh, a collection of churches and believers all over this region in Antioch, the Galatian churches, Galatians 2, 11 through 21, has got to be one of the... um, one of the most unsettling passages in all of the Bible for me in my adult life. 
I mean, I've been reading these for years and years and years, and every time I come back to them, they are so unsettling. Uh, these verses, they just, they kind of, they don't leave me alone. And so as I'm thinking about these verses, these verses that we just read, and I'm thinking about our church family, I'm thinking uh, what Risen Church is all about, and I believe that these passages right here are going to help guide and navigate for us of what God wants for us as a church, more so than maybe some, any other passages in the scriptures right now. I believe that what we see God saying here is so important, and that when we read these verses, and we look at these verses, and we examine these verses, we'll have to conclude as we survey the landscape of the American church that much of how we as Americans in the modern church, much of how we uh, right now in this cultural moment we find ourselves in do church might be wrong. Too many churches are not about Jesus. They're about Jesus plus something else. So many churches are not just about Jesus they're about Jesus plus fill in the blank. And Paul is waging war against that. Jesus plus um, something of ourselves that we add to the mix many times. Jesus plus some tradition that we have found ourselves in. Or Jesus plus some musical style that we just so happen to like. Or Jesus plus some grievance that we have in the world. And so, though it may be good, we think that Jesus plus this thing is really what makes me complete. If I just go after this. Um, and if you go to one of those kinds of churches... And all you have is Jesus and him alone, and that's it. Um, there's a good chance you just will feel like you won't fit in there. Uh, maybe you won't even be accepted. But what Jesus is doing through the gospel, what this passage is telling us, is he is creating a community where all anyone really, truly needs is Jesus himself. That's what the Bible's saying here in Galatians 2, 11 through 21. Martin Luther makes a bold uh, statement about these passages right here. Martin Luther says that these passages contain the sum of all Christian doctrine. Isn't that amazing? And I think it boils down to verse 21, which may be the key verse in the whole book of Galatians, where it says this, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose, or Christ died for nothing. Um, but we've got to get there eventually. Let's start in verse 14. Here's Paul calling out this Jesus plus something else, and this is what he has to say. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So here's what he's calling out. Here's this grievous error that he's observing. And he looks at what's going on. And he says, their conduct, 
how they're acting, what they're doing, how they're living is not in step with the truth of the gospel. So how do we do church today? What does it look like according to the Bible? How are we to do church and keep in step with the truth of the gospel rather than living a denial of the truth of the gospel, which is what these Christians were doing in this church? How can all of us together as a church build a life together and a community and a family consistent with the gospel rather than undermine the very gospel we say to believe? Because that's what was going on in this church. And this passage shows us. It shows us how we can be a church, how we can be a people, and have our, con- and have our um, conduct be in line with the truth of the gospel or contrary to the truth of the gospel. Now, this is, this is amazing because Peter, I mean, Peter's an apostle. He's, it's not like he's a brand new, he doesn't really know what's going on. He uh, knows his doctrine. He's a, he's a seasoned Christian leader in the church. He uh, walked with Jesus, right? It's not like he didn't know, but here we see that the apostle Peter, a guy that got it, a guy that was a big deal in the church, was nullifying the grace of God and treating, as Paul would say, the death of Christ as pointless. Those are fiery words. And catch this. Here's the most amazing thing about it. He didn't even realize it. He had no idea he was living like this. He had no idea he was nullifying the grace of God in the very church that he was a part of. I don't want to do that. How do we not, how can we avoid this? I don't want to be charged with something so grievous as this. Now think about this. <laughs> Peter's a great example of what not to do. In the Gospels, you remember Peter denied Jesus ever knowing him, right? Is anyone out here? Right? Do we remember this? Anyone remember? Are we, are, is this on? Huh? Peter denies Jesus, right? Okay, yeah. Three times he denies Jesus. And he denies Jesus out of fear for his physical survival. He was literally afraid that he, if he aligned himself with Jesus, he would be killed, just like Jesus was being killed, right? So um, he denies Jesus out of physical survival. Here in Galatians, this is much more subtle. He didn't even realize it. He knew he denied Jesus. That's why he ran away. Jesus had to restore him back to ministry. Here he is back in ministry, and look what he's doing again. Here Peter denies Jesus out of fear of church survival church politics, church drama. Um, Peer pressure. Wanted to fit in. Wanted to be in the right group. Wanted to be in the right crowd. Wanted to be thought of well. He denies the grace of the Lord Jesus because he was trying to fit in. And these men it talks about, they came from James. In other words, uh, a group of uh, like sort of high level from HQ Jews from Jerusalem kind of came. They're like these big deals and they came with James and they walked into this church. Um, 
and they came strolling in, and Peter is sitting down with these Gentile sinners. They were not like him. They had a different ethnic makeup than him. They voted differently than him. They looked differently than him. They were not, um, by the world's standards, they should not have been sharing a table together. They were just different. They shouldn't have done it. But under the banner of the Lord Jesus, Jesus reconciles all people of all, every tribe and every tongue and every nation to sit down at a table together and share, share a meal together. And these big shots from HQ walk into the church with James and Peter looks up and goes, and he gets up off the table, walks away from these people that were different than him. They look different than him. They thought about things different than him. They had a different culture. Um, a different ethnic makeup. And Peter leaves him. Leaves him sitting alone at the table. And aligns himself with the big shots that walked in the door. Because they're pretty powerful. And they're smart. And they're, they've climbed the ladder. And I want to make sure that I'm rubbing shoulders with these guys. Because these are the guys uh, that get things done. And... Uh, and we see why he did this in verse 12. And it tells us because he was afraid. He was afraid. He was afraid of what? Well, I think he was afraid of what others might think of him. He was afraid of what these guys walking in the door that were really important and were in the right group, in the right crowd, would think of Peter sitting with these different people these sinful Gentiles. And so Peter caved. Peter caved to church politics. And the dominoes fell. Peter, the apostle, he fell, and then others in the church fell. Did you notice that as we were reading? Even sweet Barnabas. What? Even Bar not Barnabas? Even Barnabas fell. Here's what we have to consider for us as a church. This is talking about a church. This isn't just talking about a preacher or a pastor or a staff member. This is us, like all of us together. Um, group dynamics in a church, the collective body of Christ, you sitting here today, you as a part of this church you as a, either a tender or a member or an observer of this church either embrace the very grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and how you conduct yourself in this place amongst this people or you nullify it. That's what Paul's saying. That, not just the pastor, not just the preacher, not just the elders, not just the staff people, all of us collectively together like what we do, how we interact with each other, how we love one another, how we uh, care for one another really, really, really matters because it either proves to the world and those around us that the grace of the Lord Jesus is real and it is abounding and it is good and the world around us wants it or it's just kind of like the world and it's a power dynamic and it's a ladder and I got to be in the right group to fit in and then I can climb. That's all about church culture. And Peter caved. So in every church, some call it, 
although I don't, I feel we were even saying it, the vibe of the church. That's, are the kids still saying that these days? <laughs> the vibe of the church. The corporate way of saying it is the culture of a church, right? Uh, it either displays the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, or it gives the impression that that's meaningless. That's what Paul's saying. And I think God wants to use Galatians 2, 11 through 21 to help us display Christ in all of his power together. Together. I, 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 can't, I can't do that alone. I mean, this, this, this isn't my church. This is our church. It's something we have to do together. And we either lean into that and walk in it and fight for it and strive for it, um, or we don't. Um, I want all of us to help one another live in this way so that our, catch this, the quality of our community makes Jesus obvious to people around us. Makes Jesus obvious to anyone that walks in these doors. Makes Jesus obvious to our spouse and to our children. What you say, how you say it, who you sit with, who you invite in, all of those matter. We live in a very, very, very divided world today. And there's a certain way in the conservative evangelical Bible belt in which you can fit in or you can get out. And Jesus and the Apostle Paul, if he were to sense that, he would stand up here and he would call it out just like he's calling it out here. There's no place in the kingdom of God. Sorry, I'm getting fiery because Paul is fiery here, right? Um, so God has a purpose for us here at Risen Church. He wants us to stay true to the gospel at two levels. Um, at the level of doctrine, that really, really matters. Doctrine really matters. He wants us to stay true to Jesus at the level of doctrine, and also he wants us to stay true to the risen Lord Jesus Christ and his grace at the level of culture. That also really, really, really matter. They both matter. Because what we just saw is you can have doctrine and abandon culture, and the grace of God is nullified. Or you can be really nice and not believe anything, and the grace of God is nullified because your faith rests on nothing. We need both. We need gospel doctrine, and we need gospel culture. Um. And Peter here didn't deny his doctrine. Uh, there are churches that do. There are people that do that just say, you know what, we've moved on. We've, we know that we don't need to believe this antiquated old book anymore, and so we're just going to throw that out. That's obvious that when you just abandon doctrine. This one is a lot more subtle. What Peter did here is denied his Lord and Savior at the level of culture how he operated in the confines and the context of his church. He did not keep his conduct, Paul says, in step with the truth of the gospel. And this practical betrayal of the gospel is just as horrendous as a doctrinal betrayal. 
but it's harder to discern because we just kind of get used to the way that we are. And we say, well, if I believe the right things, that's good enough. Um, and so I, I can't help but think as I was reading this, because this is so hard to see, and it's so hard to spot out, and no one ever thinks they're doing it. I've never met with anyone that sat down and says, I think I'm betraying the Lord based on uh, my uh, cultural witness within the confines of the local church. Everyone thinks everyone else is always wrong. That's why this is so difficult. Peter had no idea he was doing it. Paul had to come in and just call him out to his face. He says, when I saw, Peter didn't see it, Paul did, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Sometimes faithful, faithfulness to the gospel, even in the midst of culture, takes us speaking up and calling it out and making adjustments. So here's a quick insight. I'm already like behind on time. Um, we're, we're seeing how Paul thinks about everything here in Galatians 2. This is remarkable. Paul, this is, we're seeing how Paul always thought about most everything. Paul does not think about things when, even when errors in the church come up. He doesn't think about it in terms of right and wrong. He doesn't go up to Peter and go, hey, bro, you were wrong. Get it right. That's kind of how I tend to think about things. Like, you're just like, when, thing, when, when people are not doing what they're supposed to, you're just like, when your kids are like, stop doing that. Like, do better. It doesn't really ever work. Paul knows that, so he doesn't just call things out as right and wrong. He doesn't call them out as wise or unwise. He doesn't uh, call it out as effective or ineffective ministry. Paul is always asking a deeper, more profound question. Paul is always going underneath all of those things that, where they really matter. And he's asking this question about everything in life and in church. How does this align with the truth of the gospel? Here's the question. Is the gospel being put forth in a way that honors the Lord Jesus Christ? What course of action here in our life as a church is in closest alignment with the grace of God and the purpose of the cross. That is a great way to think about everything. That is a great way to think about your life. That is a great way to think about you as a mom, or as a dad, or as a husband, or as a wife, or as a friend, or as a church member, or as an employee, or as an employer. How does what I am doing most closely align with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel? Peter failed to ask that question of himself, and he found himself nullifying the grace of God. And when important people walked in, he exited the table because these people looked different than him. Uh, they acted differently than him. They had a different culture than him. They talked different than him. And through social pressure, he caved. Um, I could get real salty with all kinds of examples here, but I've decided not to for the sake of time right now. I had it written down, but I'm not. Ask me later if you really want to know. Why? Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray. Verse 14, when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, that's Peter, before them all, 
If you, though a Jew, live like a gentle and not, not, not like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force these Gentiles to live with Jews? Paul's calling them out in public. His life's actions are not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul's rebuking Peter. And he's saying the truth of the gospel should not just impact your mind, it should impact your heart, it should impact your behavior. Your life as a Christian, how you conduct yourself is a living, breathing testimony of the truth of the gospel. He's saying don't flip-flop. We hate it when people flip-flop. Like there's entire news networks just based on when people make different decisions and flip-flop. You said this once and now you don't say it. Paul's saying the same thing. You Be consistent. Stand firm. Don't believe this, but then live differently. Verse, tw- verse 15, we ourselves are Jews by birth and are not Gentile sinners. Paul, so, so he's just stating, obviously, yes, we have differences. Yes, our upbringing was different. Yes, our way of life and culture is different. But verse 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul shows us four things here. Faith in Jesus Christ levels the playing field for everyone. Um, You are, in other words, you and I are not in good standing with God because you are a good person. I am not in good standing with God because I preach sermons. I am in good standing with God because the blood of Jesus covers me, and that is it. Uh, We are not justified by works. We are justified by Christ. Secondly, We have believed in Christ. That is our creed. That is our faith. That is what we bank on. Thirdly, that we may be justified by faith and not by works. And so whether you um, are the thief on the cross or you are Mary Magdalene or you are the Apostle Paul, you are justified by faith, not in what you do. And fourthly, clearly he keeps saying it, no one will be saved by good deeds. That is what we hold on to. And that is what Jesus, when he looked at Peter, though Peter's at fault here, in the gospel said, and that is the rock upon that which we will build our church, the profession of Jesus as Lord. Verse 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not, he says. Here it gets a little uh, kind of crazy. Um, Paul's playing devil's advocate. So he's sort of, he's, he's assuming the argument that's going to come against him by saying this. So what do you mean we're not justified by our good works? We're justified by this one Jesus that has come. Well, then is Christ a servant of sin? Are we just, just sin then and so that he would get more glory? He's saying, no, that's not what I'm saying. He's not saying that at all. He's saying Jesus is the one that gives us freedom from our sin. This is a very common argument uh, In the ancient world, the biggest argument against Christianity, believe it or not, this is crazy for us to think in the world in which we live today, is in the ancient world, they argued that if the Christian doctrine would make everyone immoral, Jesus saves sinners, and you don't have to do anything for him to save you. He will just forgive you of your sin. They looked at that, the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, and they thought, this is going to make everyone a moral failure. 
the, the greatest argument against Christianity in the ancient world was that Christianity would make the world immoral. <laughs> Isn't that almost comical? When we look at the world we live in today. He's saying, certainly not. Christ is not the sinner. He is the Savior. He frees us. Verse 18, Paul says, for if I rebuild what I've torn down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What does he mean here? He means this. Um, If I rebuild what I tore down, in other words, if I go back to my conversion and I try to reestablish the law, if I just obey the law, then God will save me. If I obey the law and then I'm acceptable to God, if I rebuild that system of law that the grace of God tore down, then I'm trying to rebuild what I, in fact, destroyed in the first place. So what is the, what is, the law says this, that the wage of sin is death. The law demands death for transgressors. That's what the law says. That's why we had blood sacrifice in the Old Testament. Did the law exact its punishment? Yes. Um, The viper bit and emptied all of its poison of death. Where? Into the heel of the seed of woman, Genesis told us. And that one is Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. The serpent bit and emptied the poison of death to its final and fullest on Jesus. The wage of sin is death, and that payment was paid in full. That's why Jesus at the cross says, it is finished. The cross made the full payment of death for you and I. So Paul says, do I try to rebuild what has already been destroyed? You can't gain God's acceptance by following the law. It just exposes your sin. And Jesus took it all. I don't need to rebuild that which I've destroyed. Verse 19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. When you're baptized, you're buried into the water. You go under and it symbolizes your death to the law. And you come out and raised in newness of life with Christ, with his righteousness, not your own. Now we have personal intimacy with God. Verse 20, one of the greatest in all of the Bible. I have been crucified. And here's the most, two most important words in there, with Christ. What does that mean? Here's some scripture verses that tell us exactly what it means that we've been crucified with Christ. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. One died for the just One died for all, the just, for the unjust, that he may introduce us to God. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We have, we like sheep, have gone astray, each his own way, but God has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Jesus, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How is it that Christ lives now? The law of God is now written on our hearts through Christ's blood that covers us. We are now alive to God. We've been raised with him. The law of God is not just a map for us to follow anymore. 
It's a voice that communicates to us. God is near to you. God speaks to you now through Jesus, our Lord. He tells us where to go, what to do. What's better than a map? A GPS. Right? It's a voice. It's a British lady that talks to you, and it's wonderful. <laughs> Sean, turn right at the roundabout. That's a British man. I don't know the lady. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. It's just this wonderful thing. It just tells you where to go. Paul's saying, you don't, you don't just have to like try and follow the letter of the law. God, through the work of Christ, has written it on your heart. You once had a heart of stone. He gave you a heart of flesh. Now he's with you, and he communicates to you, and you have a real abounding walk with him. That's salvation. Before Christ, I never worshiped him. I never thought about God. I never got on my knees and prayed to God. I never thanked him for making the heavens and the earth and giving me breath and life. I never read my Bible. It made no sense to me before Christ. It was like reading someone else's mail. Um, I never hungered to be a part of the fellowship of God's people. Never wanted to be around the church. I had no desire to do that. Um, when I heard the gospel, I wasn't thrilled. I ran away from it. That was my life because I was dead to God. But when I was 17 years old, God saved me. God rescued me. God changed my heart. God replaced my heart of stone with a heart of flesh. God wrote his law on my heart. God gave me the Lord Jesus Christ and his blood that covers me. And I didn't know why, but I wanted to begin to read my Bible. I didn't know you were even supposed to. I just couldn't get enough of it. I didn't know that uh, I, I should pray. I wanted to talk to God. I wanted to hear from him. I wanted to know what his will was for my life. I began to thank God for many things in my life. I began to long to gather with other believers and worship God. I never wanted to do that before. I began to take the little money I had at 17, working as a grocery sacker at the Albertsons uh, in Alden Bridge, which is now a Kroger. Little known fun fact, it used to be Albertsons. It was awesome then. And I began to give some of that to the church because I wanted to see the ministries thrive. I wanted to see the gospel proclaimed. I didn't know I was supposed to. I wanted to. God began to change me. Why? Because I was dead to the law, but I was alive to God through Christ. That was me. That's all of our stories if you're a Christian in here. Why did that happen? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not alive to rules, not alive to peer pressure, not alive to church politics, not alive to all the systems of the world, but alive to Christ, alive to God and Christ. And that is where we truly live. Let's pray together, church. God, we thank you for your word. God, thank you that it is a lamp unto our feet. God, I pray that by our conduct, God, as believers in Christ here at this church, would we just honor you? Would we show that the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is real and it is abounding and it is in our midst? God, I pray for those that are struggling here this morning. 
Lord, I pray that this church would rally around those that need the love and grace of Jesus and we would be that for one another. We would point those folks to you. God, I pray um, that you would give us hearts to worship you, that you would give us hearts to sing to you, that you would give us hearts to pray to you, that you would give us hearts to continue to read your word and God, that you would grow us and change us into your image because we are found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship in church.